Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert. They're off and running again. So smooth. So sweet. Splendid. Succinct. Just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, and welcome to a bite-sized episode of Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Ebuff, and joining me today is BJ Cunningham, Anthony DeBundo. He's out on assignment in the Dominican Republic. He'll be back with us on Thursday morning to preview a full weekend of domestic league. But for now, we have a pretty short but interesting midweek slate, two Premier League matches, There should have been three. One was already canceled. That's Everton and Leicester City, a match that has already been postponed once. So why not do it again? Two EFL, the League Cup semifinals. One is uh, the second leg between Tottenham and Chelsea. The other is the first leg between Liverpool and Arsenal. Then we have a pair of Supercopa matches in Spain. And BJ is going to take you on a journey to the Southern Hemisphere for the African Cup of Nations. Then we will go over our best bets for the midweek. But first, BJ, we will start. At St. Mary's, where Southampton is an even money favorite hosting Brentford, who are three to one on the money line. The draw is plus 240 in this one. This is a Tuesday, 2.45 p.m. Kickoff a little EPL action, an island game for us. So we don't have to wait too long for the Premier League to come back after it was off for the FA Cup. This is an interesting matchup. We talk about Southampton on the show a lot, being a team that has a, a strong relative to where they are in the standings offense, but Brentford, their defense is just as strong. This is a strength for strength matchup. The bees are top six in non-penalty expected goals and shots allowed per 90. They're also second in ball recoveries per 90. While Southampton is 17th on offense in that category. So I just think that uh, this Brentford team, once again, provides some value. I'm going to probably be back at them on the money line. I'll see if this thing ticks up even further, but uh, for me, it's Brentford three to one on the money line. What about you? I'm coming along with you. I think this is actually a pretty good matchup for Brentford, especially with Southampton being a little shorthanded. One of their best center backs, Valentino Livermento, is out along with Kyle Walker-Peters, who has COVID. The Southampton defense has been pretty average this season and pretty bad as of late. They've allowed 12.2 expected goals in their last seven matches. Their biggest weakness is allowing big scoring chances. They've conceded a whopping 28 so far this season. So even though Brentford's offense has been struggling as, as of late, they haven't created over one expected goal in their last three matches. I don't think it'll be bad difficult for them to create a few high quality chances against Southampton's defense. On the flip side, you already mentioned it. Brentford defensively has been outstanding all season long. And as of late, only 4.7 expected goals allowed in their last five matches. Like you said, they're top six in non-penalty expected goals allowed and shots per 90. The biggest thing in this matchup, though, is Thomas Frank's heavy metal pressing style should be able to be successful against Southampton, who, even though they press a ton, they're not very good against teams who press them back. They're 16th in offensive passes per defensive action and pressure success rate allowed. Also, the way to attack 
attack this Brentford defense is crossing the ball into the box, but Southampton really is more of a direct attack, you know, through the middle of the pitch. They have the fourth fewest crosses into the penalty area this season. From a projection standpoint, I have this match projected a lot closer to a pick em. I mean, if you look at, you know, expected goal differential, Brentford is at around plus 1.9 and Southampton is at minus 4.4. So around a pick em, Southampton at plus 167 is the projection. So I love the bees plus half a goal at minus 115. We've been talking a lot on the show too about teams that are good underdogs. The profile is good underdogs. Right. And Brentford is just an absolute. You just can trust them in spots Absolutely. like this, especially against a flawed team like uh, Southampton. So you and I will both be on the bees on Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, two forty-five p.m. kickoff. West Ham minus three sixty hosting Norwich City, who are ten to one on the money line. The draw is <laughs> plus four seventy-five. The Canaries, man, fourteen yeah. goals allowed, no goals scored. 3.33 expected goals created and 11.33 expected goals allowed in their last five matches. It's yeah. really hard to get behind this team, but minus 360 is just, that's making things just way too expensive on West Ham in this wobble. The hammers are a little overpriced here. I have them projected around minus 270. You still know Kurt Zuma, Aaron Cresswell, and obviously Angelo Obana, who's out for the season, which means the hammers offense still has to carry them and which, you know, they are still somewhat healthy, but like you mentioned, you know, Norwich is way overdue for to put the ball in the back of the net. They've created, you know, 3.3 expect goals in their last five matches. Timu Puki will be back in the lineup. Might see some Todd Cantwell as well. So it won't be that, you know, pathetic lineup that they put out against Crystal Palace during the festive fixtures. West Ham has been pretty shaky defensively. I mean, that last match against Crystal Palace, they just hung on to dear life after going up 3-0. Allowed two goals, 2.2 expected goals, and 36 shot creating actions to the Eagles. So it's not crazy to think that Norwich can get on the board here. West Ham without Cresswell, Zuma, and Ogbana is allowing 1.51 expected goals per match. So it's going to have to be the Hammers offense carrying them. You could see, you know, this be like a 4-1 win or something like that. I do think the Hammers can basically just pick whatever score they want. It's very hard to see how this Norwich defense is actually going to slow them down. The big thing, though, with Norwich is when they go behind, it just gets worse from there. They've spent around 800 minutes this season playing from behind. And when they play from behind, they're allowing 1.84 expected goals per 90 minutes during that time. And West Ham, their last three matches offensively have created 6.6 expected goals. So I'm going to steer towards the over here. Over three goals is at plus 115. I have 2.9 goals projected. So I'm going to take the over three goals at plus 115. But I do agree with you that West Ham is a little overpriced here. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to look away from the money line on Norwich. It's it's more of a play against West Ham. We just, I don't trust Norwich as far as I can throw them, but uh, right. you're going to give me 10 to 1 to go against a team. I know it's on the road, but you're going against a team that's in their last five, two, one, and two. That's win, draw, loss, nine goals, four, eight goals against, and a negative expected goal differential in that last five. And look, West Ham's defense, uh, 5.07 expected goals allowed in their last three games. And they came against Saints, Watford, and Palace. So this is a team that, like you said, they're giving up chances. And if Norwich can find a way to put one or two behind them and maybe put a little pressure on West Ham, who knows? No matter where, how you look at it, it looks, I know a lot of people probably lump West Ham into Moneyline Parlay on Wednesday. And if you want to do that, you know, go right ahead. But for me, uh, it's hard to look away for at a big ticket going against a flawed team that's in wobbling form right now. So Norwich City at 10 to 1 for me, a party <laughs> on. We'll stay in England, but we'll shift over to a different competition. That's the EFL Cup, the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, whatever you want to call it. The Wednesday kickoff, 2.45 p.m. is Tottenham hosting Chelsea. The Spurs are uh, 
plus 150 home favorites. Chelsea coming back plus 162. The draw is plus 250. Some game theory stuff you got to think about. Chelsea's up 2-0 on aggregate after the first leg last week. Uh, so I think that this game, I don't have anything right now. I, I would lean towards Spurs at the price. But I wonder about uh, some live betting angles. We talk about it. A lot of times betters will overreact to uh, scores and situations in the first leg. So what do you see in this one? Do you think anything pregame, anything you're looking for after the whistle blows? Yeah, I, I do kind of like Spurs at the number at plus 150. It's kind of hard to look away from that, especially down 2-0. You know, Chelsea could give up a goal and still, you know, move through to the final. As far as the live bidding angles are concerned, you know, I went and looked at, you know, how each team, obviously it's going to be a 0-0 game start, but from an aggregate standpoint, Spurs is playing from behind and Chelsea playing with the lead. When Chelsea plays with the lead this season, they have around a plus 0.5 expected goal differential per 90 minutes, while Tottenham, when they play from behind, they have around a minus 0.6 expected goal differential per 90 minutes. So, you know, the numbers don't really add up for Spurs, especially, you know, coming back from this 2-0 deficit. But the biggest thing with these cup matches, and, you know, this kind of applies to the FA Cup as well, it's just so hard to, you know, provide analysis or bet this before you even see what the lineups are going to be. Because Spurs has North London Derby coming up against Arsenal on Sunday, and Chelsea has to play Manchester City on Saturday. So for a cup that really doesn't mean much. I mean, obviously it means a lot to Spurs, you know, they can get a trophy, but to Chelsea, this really doesn't mean a whole lot to them. I mean, the winner gets, you know, an automatic qualification in the Europa Conference League, but Chelsea's going to be in the Champions League. So this really doesn't matter for them other than just some silverware for Tuchel. I have to see who what the lineups are going to be. So if there could be a scenario where Chelsea comes out with maybe more of a defensive lineup, you know, Tuchel maybe wants to, you know, see if they can see a game out defensively and like they did last year during that historic stretch. Tottenham I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think Conte is that type of guy, but they could pack it in. They could just say, you know what? The Premier League's more important right now. You know, trying to get top four, beating Arsenal and North London Derby, that's kind of important because, you know, the FA Cup this weekend when they played Morecambe, they had to bring some of their best players off the bench just to get them through out of the fifth round. So I do like Spurs at the price of plus 150, but I need to see what the lineups are going to be before I play it. Yes, a uh, similar thing holds true in the first leg between Liverpool, who are plus 125, hosting Arsenal. Two to one on the money line. The draw is plus 275. As you said, North London Derby coming our way. Uh, so Arsenal and Tottenham both could. And Arsenal definitely has much more room to do it if they are in this competition, right? Because this is the first leg they're going away. So if they do want to you know, rest their starters and gear them up for Tottenham over the weekend, they can definitely do it and not look as silly, I guess, is the best way to put it, as Tottenham would in a game where they need to have a good performance to get through to the cup final. It's tough because I think we talked about it previewing the first leg that was going to take place at the Emirates. It's just really hard to know how Klopp is going to go into this one. I don't think we're going to see a full-strength Liverpool squad. Of course, we're not going to because of Salah, Mane, etc. being AFCON. But I'm talking about like from his available players, I think he's going to be pretty picky as well. I do think that the draws may be a little interesting because I could see both teams kind of being more pragmatic to their approach in this game than they normally would. We know that Klopp wants to play heavy metal football. That's not going to be the case. And and Arsenal, like they can afford to sit back and maybe just make things as kind of ugly and boring as possible. So I I don't think the draw at three to one, you know, Liverpool draws are not, you don't want to make a habit out of betting the draw in Liverpool matches, but here might be the only way I would look uh, just considering the circumstances after the postponed leg. Do you have anything here? Reds and Gunners? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a stay away from me. I don't really, either of these teams, I don't really know where their heads are at right now. You know, Liverpool, we just don't have any data 
on what Liverpool is like without Salah and Mane. They're just so important to Liverpool attack. And I understand Diego Jota has been, you know, incredible. Might see Origi or Minamino. It's just tough to bet this first leg. You know, Arsenal obviously bowed out of the FA Cup to Nottingham Forest on Sunday. They played a, pr- a relatively full-strength lineup. Obviously, Gabriel was suspended. So that's kind of concerning for Arsenal, you know, losing to a championship side on the road. The North London Derby has is, is got to be circled on the calendar here for Arsenal. They really can't put everything into this first leg match against Liverpool. So I agree with you. I mean, taking a shot at the draw at three to one is actually a pretty good play. For me, I just really need to see what these lineups are going to be like. It's very hard to bet Liverpool right now, you know, without <laughs> Salah and Mane to just, you know, even trying to project that is kind of a gauntlet. So it's a stay away for me. I really hope that Arsenal can get through <laughs> this, but I would actually be a lot happier if they... They maybe sat some of their best players, like maybe if they sat Saka and Odegaard and, you know, whoever, and just tried to focus on on beating Tottenham on Sunday, I wouldn't blame Marteta for that. Yes, especially because Tottenham's got uh, an extra day of rest, you know, so the EFL Cup, you get to the semifinals and it has just become an absolute gong show with uh, the way it's set up. And that kind of uh, speaks to the tournament itself. But hey, if you want to bet it, go for it. All power to you. And who knows, maybe all four managers go for it. All right, and with that, we'll move over to Spain uh, for another peculiar tournament. This one is the Supercopa, which is taking place, actually not in Spain. It's taking place in Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Can't say why that's going there. We all know the reason that these tournaments and these teams love going over to the Middle East right now. It's usually very green. That's the reason. And um, yeah, so Barcelona, <laughs> they're, they're heading over to Saudi Arabia along with uh, Real Madrid. The other matches, Atletico Madrid taking on Athletic Bilbao. The way this tournament works is you get the winner and the runner-up of La Liga, and then the winner and the runner-up of Copa del Rey, which is the Spanish version of the FA Cup. Uh, you put those four teams into a mini tournament and let them play and make money over in the Middle East. And I think there's one team in particular here that will take this tournament more seriously than the others, and that's Barcelona, who are plus 240 in their match in El Clasico, taking place in the Middle East with Real Madrid, who are even money on the money line that draws plus 260. This is a Wednesday, 2 p.m. kickoff. And the reason I think Barcelona takes this seriously is that their season has kind of been diminished to qualifying for Champions League in La Liga maybe making a run in Europa League, which, you know, this is Barcelona. The Europa League is is under their standards. And here, Copa del Rey and Supercopa trying to just rack up, I guess, the secondary kind of trophies. And this is one of them, plus their manager, Xavi. He just managed for a couple seasons in the Middle East. So it's kind of a weird quasi-homecoming for him. Uh, And Barcelona's been all right. Uh, Another painful result for them, a 1-1 draw. You, me, and Anthony were all on Barcelona. Mm -hmm. 1-1 against Granada. They went up 1-0 in the second half. Gavi gets a red card in, what, the 80th minute, 89th minute, like clockwork. Tie ball game. Barcelona walks out of the stadium with their tail between their legs, but the defense is doing its job, allowing under one expected goal in five of their last six matches. And their offensive numbers are good. They might not have the finishing talent and the depth that they normally do, but they're still creating chances. And they're going against a defense that is 10th in non-penalty expected goals allowed uh, and 15th in big chances allowed in La Liga. And I just don't really think Real Madrid is going to be too fussed with this matchup. So I think Barcelona is a good bet here. Yeah, it's, I mean, who would have thought we had uh, Luke DeLong uh, up top for Barcelona coming into this season? Uh, But, you know, Barcelona should be relatively healthy for this match that, you know, they've obviously had a lot of guys out due to COVID the last few matches. And this is another spot where we've all been trying to buy low on Barcelona pretty much the entire season. And it has 
Hasn't really worked, but this is obviously another good spot. If we go back to when these two teams met earlier in the season, it was the very end of the Ronald Koeman era. He got fired the next game against Rayo Vallecano. Barcelona lost 2-1, but they won the expected goals battle 1.7 to 1.1. They had more shot-creating actions, touches in the penalty area, and box entries than Real Madrid on that day. Even if we just look at expected goal differential per match, Barcelona this season is sitting at 0.66. Real Madrid is sitting at 0.64. So these teams, based on their underlying metrics, are pretty much the same, but Real Madrid has just been completely overperforming offensively because they had two incredible finishers in Vinicius Jr. and Kareem Benzema, while Barcelona, like I just mentioned, is relying on Luke de Jong and Memphis Depay and a lot of other young guys to finish those chances. You know, Barcelona offensively, 32 expected goals and have only scored 31 off those. Real Madrid has about 37 expected goals, but has scored 45 off of those so these offenses are creating similar chances they just Barcelona hasn't been able to finish them this is a good matchup for Barcelona like I mentioned they've already they've been getting healthier uh Real Madrid defensively is still 10th in non-penalty expected goals allowed and they're 15th in big scoring chances allowed they've conceded 22 already this season this is another good spot for uh, a bylaw on Barcelona I have this match projected closer to a pick em. so give me Xavi's men in the Middle East plus half a goal at minus 120 yeah <sighs> Yeah. yeah, it's funny that how Barcelona's turned into, you know, it's club that of that stature. Usually you're not going to find value on teams like this throughout a season. And they've caused us just a dramatic amount of pain mm-hmm. uh, in the past yeah. few months. It's just so, uh, so frustrating. No, it's not fun. I feel like you, you are being forced to bet on Barcelona. That's not the way it's supposed to be with a, a club of this size. Uh, the other one, uh, the other match in the Supercopa, Atletico Madrid, odds on minus 125, hosting my boys from Bilbao, Athletic Club Bilbao, who won this tournament last year. Bilbao's plus 333 on the money line. The draw's plus 240. Thursday at 2 p.m., two terrific defensive teams. Uh, Atletico, first in non-penalty expected goals allowed, first in shots allowed, first in big chances. Bilbao is second in non-penalty expected goals and second in big chances allowed. Feels like a draw. Smells like a draw. I'm going to be betting the draw on this one, especially because I don't know what kind of situation. I think Bilbao might go for this because it's similar to Barcelona. I think it'll matter to them a little bit because they're not guaranteed like Madrid and Atleti are. Their season is basically down to this. So, or making a run in La Liga to qualify. So I think Bilbao could come into this one and, and want to defend their title. They're a club that doesn't really win all that much silverware in this era of La Liga. Uh, so I think that they'll be able to hang with uh, Atletico and, and do their thing and drag this match deep into the night in the Middle East. Uh, so I think the draw plus 240s pretty interesting. I, I, I mean, I'll be deciding between the draw. I should say I, I'm interested in the draw, but I'm also interested in Bilbao. If that money line ticks up further on Bilbao, I could see uh, some value there too. So Undecided for me. We'll see how this, how the lines line up, shake out. Who travels to Saudi Arabia? Who even knows what like the COVID protocol will be with getting in there? So a lot to keep in mind there. But I know this is not providing all that much insight, but that's the way I'm looking right now. Yeah, you know what's funny? I just looked. Uh, it's kind of off topic, but uh, Athletic Bilbao plays Barcelona in Copa del Rey on Sunday. So I don't know who who the hell I'm going to bet in that one. Maybe just bet the draw or something like that between <laughs> these two underperforming teams. But no, I mean, you know, Atletico didn't have a very good performance today. They drew 2-2 uh, with Villarreal on Sunday, but they allowed 2.6 expected goals, you know, only created around 0.9. So not really that great of a, a you know, 2-2 draw. Bill Bow, on the other hand, they were pretty unimpressive against Alaves. Only 0.6 expected goals created. 
you know, Atletico obviously has been very, very good defensively this season. They've only allowed 0.8 expected goals per match in La Liga, which is one of the best marks among Europe's top five leagues. These teams play very similar styles, you know, the 4-4-2 looking to hit people on the counter. The last time they met earlier in La Liga this season, it was a snoozer 0-0 draw with only 1.9 expected goals created and only two shots registered on target. I haven't seen a line come out yet for the both teams to score no. I have it projected at minus 180. So if I can get that, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but if I can get that below minus 160, I'll probably end up playing that. But again, like you mentioned, this goes for any really league or sport right now, you know, with the COVID protocols, who's going to be there, who's not. This is, you know, another cup match that we've kind of preached it on this podcast, but it applies to Spain as well with these cup matches is you have to almost just wait and see what the lineups are going to be because you just don't know how seriously these clubs are going to take it because obviously Champions League and their domestic leagues are so much more important. So I'm looking towards both teams to score no, because I think this could be another snoozer of 0-0 draw. I don't have a problem at all playing the draw at that number. But other than that, this is just kind of a stay away for me. Yeah, I think snoozer for that one is the right word because you can imagine what the hype surrounding an El Clasico in Saudi Arabia will be like. I'm sure the ticket prices will be absurd and everybody who's anybody there will want to go. And then the next night you're looking at uh, yeah, two their right. famous clubs in Spain, but they don't have the panache that Barcelona and Real Madrid do. Uh, so it'll be kind of interesting just to yeah. watch those two and see what the atmosphere is like. That's really it for the slate. So uh, from there, usually we we like to give out our favorite underdog, but it would feel weird doing that without Anthony. So we're going to skip underdogs for the midweek. We'll have some big time pooches for you over the weekend, though. You have my word on that. And instead, we'll go to best bets for the midweek. And I will uh, let you get this one started. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Africa Cup of Nations is going on right now. And I like on Tuesday... A huge match. Nigeria is taking on Egypt. Egypt is a slight favorite, and it really doesn't make much sense to me. I understand that Mo Salah is probably the best player in the world right now, but he doesn't have much surrounding him with Egypt. And I think that this line is kind of indicative of best player in the world is playing for Egypt. So automatically they should be favorites. Well, I'm not, that's not really the case. Mo Salah is, is incredible, but at the same time, he has some of the best players in the world supplying him, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, Andrew Robertson, Sadio Mane. Well, none of those guys are there right now. I mean, if you look at Egypt's lineup, some names you might recognize, you know, Elneny, who's a backup midfielder for Arsenal, Trezeguet, who is a backup winger for Aston Villa. They have a couple guys, one that plays for Galatasaray and one that plays for BFP Stuttgart. But other than that, they don't have anybody that plays in one of Europe's top five leagues. Even through, you know, Africa Cup of Nations and World Cup qualifying, they were not impressive at all. Their expected goals numbers, in fact, they only had a 0.1 expected goal differential through 12 qualifying matches. So not that impressive at all. Nigeria, on the other hand, is a really talented team with maybe the most depth of talent of anybody in this field throughout their qualifying matches, plus 9.6 expected goal differential. So very impressive. They have a lot of names you might recognize like Ndidi from Leicester, Iwobi from Everton, Onyeka from Brentford, and it just goes on and on and on. They have a depth of talent in the country of Nigeria. And I really don't understand why they're underdogs here. And considering they, if you look at, you know, transfermarket.com, their total transfer value is third among all African teams while Egypt is around sixth or seventh. And a lot of that is due to Mo Salah. So I don't really understand why they're underdogs here. I love Nigeria on the draw no bet line, which is currently at plus 115. And I'd play anything plus money. And I'd even sprinkle a little bit on the money line at plus 220. Go Super Eagles. Uh, I think you I, like them as a future to win the African Cup of Nations too, if, if you can find that, right? 
Right. Yeah. So they're 10 to one right now at DraftKings, And, you know, the stuff I already mentioned, you know, plus 9.6 expected goal differential, third highest transfer value of anybody in the tournament. And they're currently around eighth on the odds board. You know, Senegal and Algeria are the favorites right now. Algeria won the last Africa Cup of Nations in 2019. Senegal obviously has the most talent of anybody in this field with Sadio Mane and Edouard Mendy playing for them. You go down the odds board, it's, you know, Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Egypt, you know, Morocco, and then you have Nigeria sitting there at 10 to 1. And it seems kind of crazy to me that they're not up there at third or fourth on the odds board considering their expected goals numbers were around third or fourth best. And they have, you know, based on transfer market value, the third highest in Africa. So it seems kind of crazy to me that they're sitting there at 10 to one. So I love the Super Eagles to win the Africa Cup of Nations at 10 to one. Yeah. And they've, they've had success in tournaments before. I think the right. Olympics and some, you know, they make, they'll be within a shot of making the knockout rounds of the World Cups usually. So yeah, Nigeria. Might not have been expecting to hear some African Cup of Nations breakdown here on Wonder Gold, but you know, if there's soccer being played, we're going to try to do our best to cover it. For me, my favorite bet over the midweek is Brentford. We talk about the Bees profiling as a strong underdog team because of their defense and their ability to claw their way into games and drag matches deep into the evening. And that's what I expect them to do against Southampton. Brentford. Their defense is ranks in the top six in non-penalty expected goals and shots allowed per 90 uh, this season. Southampton's strength is its offense and their ability to create chances. But I think Brentford will be able to handle that. And I think that these two teams, the matchup really suits Brentford. The second best defense in terms of ball recoveries, uh, Southampton's offense is 17th in that stat. Southampton is not a team that will really punish you with crosses. And that's, that's the best way to bust down the doors of this Brentford defense. They are 20th in crosses allowed per 90, but Southampton's only 17th in producing those crosses. So I think the matchup is pretty nifty here for Brentford. Three to one on the money line, traveling to Southampton on Tuesday afternoon. Give me the bees, baby. A team that has treated us pretty well over the course of the season. Brentford plus 300. And with that, the truncated episode of Wonder Goal has come to an end. Hopefully, we'll get Anthony back from assignment in time for recording on Wednesday night, and we will have a full trio, the full trio back in action to preview the weekend for the Premier League, Bundesliga, Copa del Rey, everything that we can get our hands on to. It's, it's going to be a busy weekend in soccer coming up. Uh, so for BJ Cunningham and the absent Anthony DeBundo, I'm Michael Ebuff saying so long, and we will see you on Thursday morning.